Hello, this is Mike Volkoff, and we're here for episode 154 of uh, Corruption Chronic Compliance. Uh, today's episode is a discussion with Tom Fox about the Blue Belt Creamery's uh, criminal enforcement action. Before we get started, let's uh, hear a message from Steel Compliance Solutions, our sponsors. Steel Compliance is the global leader in compliance and ethics management. Steel's compliance and ethics platform is comprehensive, robust, and easy to use to promote a company's culture of compliance. Steel partners with the world's largest, most respected companies to deliver compliance products and services that help organizations embrace a culture of compliance while protecting their brand. Building an ethical culture is a complex undertaking that requires a detailed understanding of the global compliance environment, considerable time, and specialized expertise. Steel's end-to-end ethics and compliance platform is designed to provide compliance officers with the solutions they need to proactively address changing regulatory and reputational risks. Steel's ethics and compliance automated platform offers critical functions designed to promote a speak-up culture to advance employee engagement, reporting, and incident management, investigate promptly and fairly potential incidents to ensure compliance with your organization's code of conduct and applicable laws and regulations, including anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, antitrust, sanctions, cybersecurity, and data privacy. Manage your organization's compliance policies and procedures to ensure that policies are updated and disseminated effectively so that employees understand your organization's compliance requirements. Educate and engage your organization to promote understanding in how your compliance program applies to -to day-to-day operations. And evaluate and monitor your organization's business partners, vendors, suppliers, and customers to mitigate risk and ensure adherence to your organization's ethics and compliance requirements. To learn more about Steel's Compliance Solutions, please contact us at email steelglobal.com or call 415-692-5000. Well, it's always great to have uh, Tom Fox here with me today, and we're going to uh, discuss the uh, Bluebell Creamery's safety uh, enforcement action, criminal case, and uh, related governance issues. And uh, it's always a pleasure to have Tom here. And uh, before we get into this case, I was hoping, Tom, you could sort of get into uh, some of the facts and outline them for us. So Mike Bluebell ice cream was the pride of Texas. I grew up in the next county over from where Bluebell was manufactured. It was so famous when I was a kid, we took uh, field trips from school to the Bluebell uh, Creamery and Dairy in Brenham. Uh, to tour the facilities and, of course, eat fresh Bluebell ice cream. Um, Unfortunately, the company seriously lost their way. And in May of this year was fined $17.4 million uh, from uh, the Department of Justice. And uh, another $2.1 million was paid out in a False Claims Act uh, lawsuit. So a $19.5 million fine. That really doesn't begin to describe the damage to the company. The company ended up having to basically sell itself, laid off over half its workforce, lost its CEO, and probably damaged its reputation, uh, certainly to the extent that I'm never going to eat Bluebell again. The um, company was first notified in February 2015 that two ice cream products from the company's Brenham factory had tested positive for listeria, which can uh, cause sickness and death. It uh, Bluebell directed 
its delivery route drivers to remove stock of the two products which came back testing positive for listeria from store shelves. That's grocery stores and other locations where it was uh, delivered to, but the company did not recall the products or even issue any formal communications to inform customers about the potential listeria contamination. In uh, in March of 2015, Kansas Department of Health officials determined that listeria-tainted portions of the company's ice cream had made it into products served to five hospital patients between January 2014 and January 2015. Of the five who became ill, three died. By March 24th, Kansas officials had traced the source of the listeria to Bluebell's signature facility in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, uh, built by the company in uh, 1992. On April 3rd of the same year, the Centers for Disease Control had traced Bluebell's listeria strain to six other patients going back to 2010. Four had been hospitalized for unrelated problems when they became sick with listeria. The uh, significance of that, Mike, is that Bluebell sold industrial or had institutional clients such as hospitals, such as school districts, the U.S. military. Uh, Certainly with school districts and hospitals, you had high-risk victims of both elderly and very young. The strains of listeria were traced to the plants in Oklahoma and Texas. Once again, Bluebell chose not to issue any formal notifications to customers regarding positive tests. According to the criminal information filed against Bluebell, FDA inspections in March and April 2015 revealed sanitation issues at both the Brenham and Broken Arrow facilities, including problems with hot water supply needed to properly clean equipment and the deteriorating factory conditions, which could lead to unsanitary conditions. Bluebell temporarily closed all of its plants in late April 2015 to clean and update the facilities. Uh, The DOJ press release around the fine and penalty did note that since the facilities reopened in late 2015, Bluebell had taken significant steps to enhance sanitation processes and enact a problem to te- uh, program rather to test for listeria prior to shipment. As I mentioned, there was a False Claims Act settlement for 2.1, which resolved allegations that the company shipped ice cream products manufactured in an unsanitary conditions to U.S. facilities. We later found out that was the U.S. military and failed to abide by contractually required recall procedures when its employees remove the products from federal purchasers' freezers without disclosing details about the potentially contaminated ice cream. As I said, the fallout for from the contamination and attendant uh, uh, fines, penalties, and reputational damage has been nothing short of catastrophic for the company. Immediately after the scandal broke, the company had to shut down its full production line and clean up its facilities. It led to the layoff of almost 1,500 people. Uh, employees out of a total workforce of 3,900 in the summer of 2015. The um, In the summer of 2015, the financial situation for Bluebell became so uh, severe that it basically sold a controlling interest in the company through a loan convertible into ownership for $125 million. Uh, this was when the company was allegedly worth $900 million. We had uh, the company pleading guilty to two criminal misdemeanor counts of distributing adulterated ice cream products. The criminal penalty in the settlement of False Claims Act totaled $19.5 million. Uh, Bluebell is now, unfortunately, the poster child for inc- incredibly poor corporate governance and food safety issues. The facts here, and I've spent a lot of time on this case, uh, as I know you have, because there's really there's a, there's a lot to dig into particularly in the criminal uh, information against Paul Cruz, 
which I know we're going to talk about in a in a separate uh, podcast. But the um, there are a couple of points that I thought are worth uh, making here. Number one is uh, Bluebell uh, had to plead guilty to those criminal offenses, and at the same time, or shortly around the same time, uh, DOJ settled the Chipotle uh, Chipotle uh, Mexican Grill case, which. Uh, there were outbreaks of norovirus in that case. And what's interesting is in uh, Chipotle, they got a deferred prosecution agreement. And I think the difference was that, uh, first off, there wasn't as much obstruction conduct, but more importantly, nobody died from the norovirus in the Chipotle Mexican grill case. Whereas Bluebell, we had three people who uh, died because of the listeria uh, that came out. So that's one thing. The second thing is, I felt like DOJ, and I don't know if you agree with this, Tom, was trying to there, – there's a little bit of a message here that they timed the delivery of these two cases close to each other. And in terms of food safety, because uh, I think in the middle of this pandemic, one of the biggest issues is going to be uh, you know, workplace safety for employees. And uh, I think both of these cases set out standards for companies in a way that uh, here's the bright line. If you engage in this kind of conduct and don't follow your controls, uh, when it comes to safety, we're going to be pretty aggressive about um, going after you. Particularly, uh, I mean, the, the facts are egregious in Bluebell, but in the Chipotle Mexican grill case, that could have easily been satisfied with a civil settlement, but I think they went criminal because of the fact that there were outbreaks in so many different um, areas of the country, but I feel like it's a it's a message about employee safety, and then if, that if we, if companies are going to during this pandemic and bring, when we bring employees back to companies, that we got to make sure that the workplace is safe. We don't cut corners on controls. We don't cut corners on safety issues that have a direct impact on the health of workers as well as consumers, by the way, or people who interact with the company. So uh, I felt like the DOJ uh, did this deliberately, but I may be reading too much into it. I don't know what you thought. Uh, Mike, it's not that I disagree. I just don't think uh, you really actually stated it strongly enough. I think absolutely the DOJ was trying to send a message. The the timing of these releases of uh, criminal prosecutions and DOJ, excuse me, DPA against Chipotle, I think speak directly to not only the time we are in, the time of coronavirus health crisis, but also exactly what you said, the, the new importance on food safety and worker safety. And the Department of Justice is making clear that uh, even in this uh, certainly uh, most unique and severe health crisis, that if you don't take food safety and worker safety uh, as uh, as strongly as required under law, you're going to be sanctioned for that. And uh, these cases coming out now, I, I think probably um, – well, I would have hoped that food products company, companies would have uh, been this aware of the risk. Obviously, we'll get into how Bluebell was not even close to having uh, any sort of oversight or, or cor- corporate governance around food safety. But uh, the message has been clearly sent. And, and I think you have consistently said over the 10 years plus that I've known you that uh, the DOJ clearly um, 
sends messages, and they clearly uh, set send out communications on what their priorities are. And they have made it clear that America's food and health safety is going to be absolutely critical uh, going forward. And if you do not take corporate governance steps, if you do not take compliance steps, if you do not take food safety steps, and there is an outbreak, you will be sanctioned. Yeah, I, I think that's really clear from these cases. And, you know, DOJ reads the headlines and, re, you know, responds to public pressure just as much as anybody. Uh, and I think that with this concern on workers' minds, um, uh, I think they're going to be aggressive. The other thing that occurs a lot of times in these situations, in my mind, when DOJ takes on criminal is they help to push the civil enforcement because right now OSHA and other enforcement agencies related to health safety or worker safety, um, you know, have not been as aggressive. And I think what you're going to see is that with DOJ's attention to these issues, we're going to start to see an uptick in OSHA. False Claims Act for sure is going to be uh, is going to ramp up because they're this is right in their bailiwick, and uh, and I think we're going to see sort of an increased enforcement in general around these issues. So, you know, uh, the contr- and I mean I don't want to be overly dramatic. Look, because we work, you know, we you and I, Tom, have done a lot of work in the oil and gas industry, where safety is a obviously a primary concern. And you can't cut corners there as well. And companies that have obviously uh, have gotten in big trouble. But I think we're going to see a similar sort of push in this area with safety around the workplace and obviously continuing uh, with food safety. But let's um, let's turn to sort of another aspect of the case uh, or this situation, Tom. And I, I there was a collateral litigation or, you know, shareholder litigation that occurred in uh, Delaware relating to this case, which actually occurred, uh, you know, the sort of big events in that case. And I know that it ultimately settled, but uh, in that case, uh, relating to Bluebell led to a really important um, case out of the uh, Delaware Supreme Court, where they addressed what are called the Caremark and Stone v. Ritter uh, standards governing director's duty to exercise oversight and monitor the co- company's operational viability and compliance. Uh, and I thought, uh, it, it, if you wanted to go through this uh, to talk about the the board behavior, uh, but here the Delaware Supreme Court ended up denying a motion to for summary dismissal. And I think that's interesting because it was one of the first cases to see the first pushback on the Caremark standard. Uh, and then after this case, there was another case that occurred. Uh, uh, Marchin v. Barnhill in, uh, was the Blue Hill Cre- Bluebell Creameries case, but then there was another case after it, uh, which addressed the same thing. But if you wanted to talk about that a little bit, that'd be interesting to get your perspective on it. Sure, uh, Mike. On the corporate governance failures at the board level there, too, and I'm going to leave uh, the Caremark uh, part of it to you, but I want to bring up one that I don't think we really talk enough about, certainly in the compliance realm. I hope they talk about it in the blogs and uh, commentary that deal with boards, and that's really board independence. 
And here, you since 1919, Bluebell had been run by the same family in Brenham, the Cruz family. Paul Cruz had become a director. He was the CEO at the time in question in 1983 and took over as CEO and president of the company in 2004. He assumed the chairman of the board role in 2014 after the retirement of his father who had held the chair since 1950s. Over half the board members had previously worked for one or both of the cruises. The plaintiffs in the shareholder litigation alleged that a majority of the Bluebell board members have such close ties to the other defendants, particularly in Paul Cruz, that they would be incapable of impartially considering a demand to bring a fiduciary claim against him on behalf of the company. And so that's the test. Would they... Uh, even consider bringing demand of a fiduciary violation claim against him on behalf of the company. So the uh, trial court and the uh, Delaware Supreme Court, the trial court uh, found against uh, the plaintiffs on this, but the Delaware Supreme Court found for the plaintiffs. And what they found was uh, one board, three board members were related by blood to Paul Cruz, so they couldn't be independent. Another board member had written a book about the Cruz family and a gr- book about Bluebell, and Paul Cruz had written the foreword to her book. Uh, a third, another member had worked for Bluebell since 1981, and he had been president. He, he was named president of the company uh, after having served as general sales manager and plant manager, then VP of sales and marketing. And finally, uh, a uh, final board member had $450,000 in donations made in his name to create a college or rather a, a department at uh, Blinn College, which is headquartered in Brenham. And so the board was under the control of Cruz, and they uh, not only abrogated their Caremark duties, but I thought they took it a step further, but really acting as sycophants. And here, uh, after there were public notifications of the Listeria outbreak in March of 2015, Bluebell's board met and adopted a resolution expressing support for Bluebell's CEO, management, and employees, and encouraging them to ensure that uh, everything Bluebell manufactured and distributed is a wholesome and good tested product. Uh, that's the kind of board resolution that does not speak to board ind- independence. And as a final piece of the evidence for the violation of board independence in February 2016, the board at the uh, nomination or rather presentation of a resolution from the new board member from the new owner uh, voted to strip Paul Cruz of his joint role as CEO and chairman of the board. This is as basic a corporate board governance governance issue as you can have. Uh, it um, originally passed, but then Cruz threw a fit and threatened to resign both roles if the split actually occurred, and the board held another vote, which all members except two voted to restore him to both positions. So the board was clearly uh, beholden to Paul Cruz, and they abrogated their boards of director duty. Uh, as bad as that was, I know you had some really pretty strong thoughts and wanted to come in hot on the board's violation of its Caremark duties. Well, first off, those, uh, and I was not aware of the the, uh, the aspects that you just pointed out, Tom, and those are just, I mean, it, to me, it explains a lot of the reason for why the, the Caremark case came out the way that it did, because the court was obviously aware of this issue. Um, and in the Caremark case, what happened was the you know, uh, after this whole debacle, a uh, stockholder brought a derivative suit alleging that the directors had breached their fiduciary duty of loyalty under Caremark and that there had been 
And, you know, the standard I've always argued is almost ridiculous on its face because almost any company could meet it. And the standard is it has to be an utter failure to attempt to assure a reasonable information and reporting system exists. And that is if you don't meet the utter failure standard, uh, most of these cases get dismissed at the uh, trial court level and then they appeal, uh, you know, pre pre-discovery. And um, what happened in this case, which I think is really pretty, pretty interesting, is that they uh, the court reversed the Delaware Supreme Court reversed the trial court's dismissal of the complaint. And they said and they basically explained that directors have great discretion to design context and industry specific approaches tailored to their company's business and resources. Um, But the board must make a good faith effort. Uh, that is, try to put in place a reasonable board-level system of monitoring and reporting. Now, in this regard, uh, the court cited several factors, including the fact that the board didn't even establish a board committee to monitor food safety uh, or to periodically devote any portion of board meetings to food safety compliance. According to the board minutes, the board did not have any discussion of food safety red flags, despite the fact that that uh, Bluebell was cited several times uh, leading up to the Listeria uh, controversy. So the board did not you know, proactively require management to provide any information about safety risks, and the board had no protocol or expectation that management would deliver key food safety compliance reports or summary of these reports to the board on a consistent and mandatory basis. What I find is one of the most telling facts is, the, is that the board never even met during the crisis, during the Listeria crisis, which ultimately, as you de- described, Tom, led to the demise of the company in the sense they got a loan and then they basically got bought out. Uh, after that. So um, even the Delaware Supreme Court found, look, the utter failure here of them to do anything, in particular, they pointed out, when you're dealing with food safety, which is your, I mean, let's be honest, that's your number one risk as a food company, right? Then there's uh, that, that you can't meet Caremark in that situation. I mean, the facts are pretty egregious, but at least we have some precedent pushing on uh, the need for certain aspects to your compliance program being reporting to the board, the board having a committee dedicated to that function, which is food safety. But I don't know. What did did you think, Tom? Did you see this as a good, uh, I mean, at least there was a positive decision uh, in terms of reversing Caremark for the, or, you know, reversing a Caremark finding. Uh, right. So the I was interested, Mike, when uh, the Delaware Supreme Court said, quote, although Caremark may not require as much as some commentators wish, it does require a board make a good faith effort to put in place a reasonable system of monitoring and reporting about the corporation's central compliance risk. And if I could, in quote, if I could pick up on the point you raised, which is a company has to manage its risks. And if there's one message we've received consistently from the Department of Justice, at least since the 2012 FCPA guidance is, you have to assess and manage your risks, whatever those risks might be. And here, uh, there was no board uh, committee that addressed food safety. There was no regular process that required management to keep the board apprised of food safety processes. There was no schedule for the board to consider food safety risks. 
Uh, and you mentioned that the board didn't even bother to meet uh, during the Listeria crisis in Q1 of uh, 2015, and there's certainly no uh, risk committee meeting on the Listeria crisis. Uh, the board was given certain favorable information by about food safety by management, but not given reports which presented a much different picture, and there was no regular discussion of food safety issues. Um I really appreciated when the Delaware Supreme Court absolutely made clear the company's absurd, or their directors rather, absurd defense was, well, we we discussed uh, operational issues and we had everything the FDA required of us safety-wise. In other words, they had a paper compliance program in place. And the Delaware Supreme Court completely eviscerated uh, the paper compliance program idea as anything close to satisfactory. Number one, they said having the bare minimum in place required by law is not managing your risks. And then number two, that um, operational risk, or excuse me, operations and operational issues discussed at, are always discussed at the board level, uh, but that is no substitute and cannot be claimed to be any way, shape, or form of uh, dealing with the risks and most important risk of your business. So I really took some uh, pretty good language away from this decision. Number one, I think it destroyed from the board perspective uh, the argument that a compliant, you know, a Compliance defense is going to be anything positive because it simply eviscerates completely the idea that a paper program is acceptable. Uh, I think we now have laid out some because of the plaintiff's pleading in saying what Bluebell did not have. We have uh, really the structural framework for a good Caremark um, oversight program at the board level which is the risk committee, whatever that risk might be. If it's food safety, it's a food safety risk committee. If it's financial, it's a financial risk committee. If it's uh, anti-corruption compliance, it's an ABC uh, safety committee, a process for management to report up to the board, a process for the board to evaluate those risks on an oversight basis, uh, a process for emergency meetings when it all goes south, Um you have to be honest and truthful with the board. That does not mean don't lie. That means give the board the information you have as management and uh, a regular discussion of whatever your top risks are. So uh, I really thought this was a, a really good case. We, it, As a trial lawyer, one of the m- maxisms we always had was bad facts make bad law. Well, here we had some incredibly bad facts adding to what I think was a good law to start with, but putting some teeth into that good law. And so I was uh, I was very gratified by the Delaware Supreme Court. But frankly, if Bluebell had done anything, I don't think the Delaware Supreme Court would have reached this decision. Uh, I, I, I agree with that, Tom. There's no, the fact is that, that Bluebell did nothing. And if they had up, if they had upheld the trial court's decision here, it would mean the care mark doesn't mean anything. Uh, right. But uh, because Bluebell did nothing, uh, even the Delaware Supreme Court, I, I thought in in as strong a language as you'll ever get from the Delaware Supreme Court, right. just chastised the board for their complete failure uh, around Caremark. Well, you know what? And it's interesting. Uh, and I know we, we want to wrap up here uh, shortly, but I just wanted to say one thing, which is it's interesting about the separate committee idea. Because right now we have compliance usually in with the audit committee. 
And to me, it makes a suggestion not that if it, it, it to me, it brings back the real question of why don't we uh, have a separate compliance committee, ethics and compliance committee. And I think compliance gets lumped into the audit committee and usually gets uh, sort of short shrift in comparison to the you know internal audit and the financial reporting mechanisms. So to me, uh, this case suggested that you sh- for your biggest risks, you should have uh, at least a separate committee on it. And to me, that I think that may be best handled in a compliance committee that's separately set up. But that's you know, that's one of my sort of uh, hopes for the compliance profession in the future. I think that's probably uh, for me what I saw from the, the facts of the case and then, of course, from the board. And uh, I really think the Delaware Supreme Court has given us a stronger foundation uh, on which companies need to th- particularly boards need to think through their obligations. And and uh, as I said, I think they've now laid out a coherent structure for boards to have in place to manage risk. Now, that is not executing risk management, but it now that we, uh, I think, have a good idea of what a good structure looks like, then we can move towards actual execution of that structure. And perhaps we'll have other uh, uh, cases from the Delaware Supreme Court to flesh that out. Yep, I think you're right. And I think we should follow the elements that you just sort of laid out there in terms of governance board uh, structure for the future. So anyways, Tom, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Any podcast you appear on, my uh, listenership goes up. Uh, So I'd like to say there's a strong correlation to your presence. Uh, And I really appreciate it. It's this has been a fascinating case. And uh, you and I've you know, sort of shown a lot of attention to this case, and I think for good reasons. But thanks for uh, joining us today, and um, stay healthy, stay safe, all the best to your family. Thanks, Mike. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com.